Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast. Today's Monday, February 22nd. We're presented by Sticks Golf. Yeah, Zach, Sticks Golf, home of From the Back Tees podcast. Um, they are such a wonderful partner. Uh, they make awesome set of clubs, nice matte black sweet finish um, you won't really see anything like it out there um, really comparable to a lot of the top of the line clubs I had the chance to use them myself and uh, you know they compared very very well to my tailor-made set um, always gotta shout them out on on the podcast uh, they're they've been great partners for us check out um, their website sticks.golf. Um, they're doing a lot of different things right now. They're selling individual clubs. They have a, a full set um, that is crazy priced. Um, I, I mean, they're the biggest bargain in golf clubs that you can find out there. Use our promo code account. But you know what else is big? Who's, who's our guest today, Zach? Yeah, we, we got a big guest. Uh, some of you guys may know him from this offseason. During COVID, we got the mini tours going on. A bit of a mini tour legend. We got Alistair Dockerty. I hope I didn't screw that one up. Yeah, how's it going? Sorry, my, my feed is a little off, but uh, thanks for having me on here, guys. Oh, yeah. Thanks hey, for you're not talking about just someone. You're talking about an absolute legend, man. This guy can play the game of golf. Thanks, Reed. <laughs> an absolute legend, yeah. So hey, I, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, oh, let's be honest. Like, 65, 66, 67 on a normal basis on any, any given day is not out of the question, or, or lower for that matter. Well, nowadays with golf, you have to shoot those scores. So uh, we can all thank Tiger for those. Yeah. So you, you were playing a lot of, like, the Outback Tour events during COVID, were you? Um, Outlaw Tour. Outlaw, yeah, Golden sorry, State Outlaw. Tour. Um, a couple APT events. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been tough, actually, finding different, different things to play in with uh, the limited status I have. So um, going from Mondays, finding different small tour events to play in unless, uh, unless you get in that week. Yes, yeah, so I, so I don't know I don't know if you realize that during the whole COVID, when there was the Outlaw Tour events and no PGA Tour, they started doing like daily fantasy contests, and you sort of rose to a little bit of mini stardom there because you were just <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, they had you're, little DraftKings on us, and uh, people are like, lots of, guy, lots of us guys were talking about it. Yeah, people are like, this guy is just like should be top player on the PGA Tour right now. He's just crushing these events. Like, uh, yeah. So, what was that like for you? Um, I, I, I'm just a normal guy who loves the spotlight, I guess. Um, when, when the cameras are on, it's just time to shine a little bit brighter. And, uh, I don't know, I, I like that kind of aspect. So coming from, you know, I'd rather have fans out there. So hopefully that can kind of right. start back up again too. Alistair, we gotta, I have to ask you, did you ever find out like the largest wager ever placed on you? Um, I, I don't know about that, but I have had family and friends that have 
said, Hey, we're throwing some money on you this week, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, good for you guys. Thanks. <laughs> Hopefully you win more than I do. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're whoever's listening next time you bet a tournament and Alistair's playing, I'm telling you, you would be stupid not to take it. Thanks. Guys. Well, Alistair, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who've been living under a rock and don't know the great Alistair. Um, where, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into golf? That kind of thing. Um, well, I was born on the East coast of Canada. Um, I grew up playing hockey. Um, I lived in Canada until I was six years old and moved to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, or sorry, I lived in Vancouver, British Columbia until I was six years old. Then I moved to Vancouver, Washington. Um, but I was still playing hockey all my life. And, uh, until I was about 12, then I had a few injuries and uh, my dad said, you're not sitting on the couch. It's time to pick up a golf club. So uh, from the age of 12 till now, it's, it's been golf, golf, golf. And um, I went to school at uh, Chico State in Northern California. I was there from 2012 to uh, 2016. Um, right after my senior year, I represented uh, the USA in the Palmer Cup. I was one of uh, very few of Division II players that got to represent the U.S., um, and then from there, I, I, I turned pro a little uh, just after that summer. Um, didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, I, I won a few small mini tour events that kind of got me through a little bit and then played a year up in Canada and didn't do so well. Uh, took a little break, started caddying to make sure that I had enough money to keep playing. And um, just last uh, well, I guess that was two two years ago. I uh, won the Reno Open and played in the Barracuda. Um, and then uh, two years ago, I got my Corn Ferry status. So I, I've got conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour now. So um, we've been we've been trying to get through and deal with all the COVID regulations that has uh, messed with a lot of people's status. But uh, but we're ready to try and get going again. That's super. That's super exciting. I mean, that's that's a. I'm sure a long, uh, hard path that you've been on. When you said you were playing in Canada, was that on the McKenzie tour? Yes. Yep. Tell us a little bit about how that was like, like paying your way, traveling around, trying to play in tournaments when you probably felt like you're broke and homeless. Um, well, I, I still sometimes feel that way. Uh, it's, uh, it's a grind. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate now that I've got a, a few people that are helping me out and, uh, I've, I've got shares. I, I sold shares in myself this year. So, uh, whatever I make portion of it goes back to the people that have bought it was difficult. That was the, that was the, You got to keep going um, because you can quickly miss cuts when you're shooting six under for 36 holes. Let's make it quick, Alistair, as far as this part. Uh, if people want to invest in you, how do they do it? Um, they go to alistairdoherty.com and uh, there's a flyer that they can fill out or they can email me at golfgoals at alistairdoherty.com as well. Perfect.
with Homa. I mean, Homa missed that little three-footer at the end here or end there and then uh, the playoff. And it's funny because uh, when I was working for Mark, one of his best friends was uh, was Max Homa. So we spent a lot of time around him. Um, and dude, that, guy has, that guy has game. I know I've picked him in the past. Uh, we do picks every week. Um, and I've picked him in the past. And dude, that guy can play golf. That was a crazy ending for home and a win. Sorry there. I had the internet connection go out. Uh, I don't know what I looked like, but probably bad. But I, I saw his shot on 10 was like the craziest shot ever. I heard, I don't know who it was. It might've been his caddy tweeting about it after being like, people do not realize how impossible that was, how he landed on, it short. On the, on 10 on the first playoff hole. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was dead. I thought for sure. He would have to – I mean, still, Tony would have had to got up and down, which he ended up not getting up and down. Um, but I thought for sure he was just going to have to punch out and not even – and then have to hit another good chip to get a good look at uh, a par. Um, but the fact that he got that on the green with the – I mean, that – front left part of the green it would have been is all sloping away from him and he somehow like hooked a chip shot to get it to roll up onto the front part of the green is incredible while it's it's basically working its way against the grain up the hill like it was incredible I I mean it sucked to watch him miss that putt on 18 though I mean Tony Fino fans are probably going crazy they're like oh my gosh we have a second life here but that was like gut-wrenching to see a guy miss that putt for the win especially Homa who sounds like he's always wanted to win this tournament um being an LA kid so yeah Tony Fino must be kicking himself after losing this one so it's three straight second place finishes now it's like never gonna stop that he can't win until he does it again and just getting this close and Homa having it next to a tree Missing a three footer. It's like everything was given. Dude, I mean, how many guys, how many times is he going to finish second? Crazy. More than what is it now? Like probably six or eight times in the last year? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. One first place finish. And the worst part is that his one win came at the Puerto Rico Open, so no one even like counts that. Well, yeah, it's the Puerto Rico Open curse now, right? <laughs> So. Yeah, people aren't giving him the credit for that one, so I don't know. Didn't, didn't Victor Hovland win that one time? Yeah. He did. Yeah. I thought he did. I thought, I thought it was, that was his first win, right? Yeah. I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, Tony will win, though. I have, I have no doubt that he'll start winning. It's just, like, unfortunate that he has to keep waiting it out, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, uh, Alistair, what do you think about uh, Finau and his lack of – um, being able to finish a golf tournament, like what, what can you attribute that maybe he can get better at? Uh, I mean, winning is difficult, no matter at what level it is. Um, I, I gotta say that I've related to Tony a lot in my lifetime. Um, but the, the wins will come, um, as long as you're, you're still putting yourself in those positions, you're giving yourself chances that it will happen. And I would not be surprised if Tony comes out victorious or um, to win this event coming up here at the WGC. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one that can do it at any point. That'd be a sweet storyline. I mean, he'd finally, you know, finally get that monkey off his back and 
to do it after this past week would be awesome to see him big time redemption there and obviously it's a stacked field these WGC events are practice I mean they're they're more stacked than some of the majors so um mm. it, it'd definitely be you know worth it to see him win that and yeah just <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe it that was, that was just a crazy finish everything about it you know, we're gonna. We, I won't. I won't put the spoiler in there. But uh, the little draft we're doing later, something at Riviera will come into play for me. Yeah, one one guy I want to talk about too from the event was Sam Burns, who almost went wire to wire. He he was someone I mentioned last week on the pod as one of the sleepers. And he you did. I, I thought he was gonna win. Everyone. You, did, you didn't want to. You didn't want to tweet about that because you were hoping to not curse yourself. I knew yeah. you were holding back on that. Because <laughs> I have like every week, and it was a curse <laughs> anyways. But I mean, Burns is a. He's a great player. He's gonna win on this tour. Like I said, we saw him the first time when he played with Tiger, and he was just like nails. He outplayed Tiger that week. Unfortunately for you, Nolan. <laughs> That's but, right. uh, he's a future star, I think, in this, and the youth movement is coming to the top now. Yeah, it was too bad. I mean, he had a right fifty-four. He was leading after every round, um, and just didn't have it all on Sunday. That's for sure. I mean, I will say he got a couple good breaks. I thought for sure he was. Oh, what hole was that? Maybe like fifteen. Um, I think it's a par four, and there's just trees and a fence line down the left side. Um, and he just snap hooked one and it somehow like the, the forest over there was really dense and I don't know what it hit, but it somehow stayed in bounds. And, um, he, yeah, I mean, he was struggling most of the day, but he stuck with it, you know, he got a good finish, but, um, kind of felt bad for him too. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so we, I think we can move on to this week. We got the, uh, WGC workday championship. Is that, I think it's the only one DJ hasn't won. <laughs> so uh you'll know my pick now <laughs> i mean how do you not pick the guy oh i am what uh, hey before we that. i guess before we move on but no one really talked about dj not not really performing on sunday he kind of fell off the map real quick there true, true. what what happened there i mean you got yeah, confidence in him this week expect so much out of him <laughs> yeah i agree I agree. It's like if he isn't top two, he had a real bad week. <laughs> yeah. Like I was noticing too during like like Bryson, the difference between like a guy like Bryson and a guy like DJ is Bryson had an off week and just missed the cut. And then DJ had like his first two rounds, he wasn't even playing well. And he made the cut and was like 20th heading into the weekend. Yep. And then he was right there starting on Sunday, but. Had a lackluster start. Alistair could probably attest. I mean, dude, if you can get your bad tournaments to be in the 30s and 40s and 20s, I mean, as far as placing, it's pretty damn good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean, DJ's one of those guys that just goes about his business and doesn't really matter until, you know, right. the back nine on Sunday. That's why he's in every event every time he tees it up. Right, And he's also one of those people that has a couple bad rounds 
and he's able to just write the ship. Every, every next shot is the next shot. It doesn't matter to him. Yeah. I mean, what, what was it last year? He shot 80 twice and then decided to take a week off and came back and won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody remembers those, but DJ, DJ went on a heat heater right after he shot 80 twice. You know, he's good at golf, obviously, but I think he's also very smart. Like he's very smart and he's, he's, he really thinks about how he wants to go about winning a golf tournament, whether that means taking two weeks off before it and going to prep or whether that means getting a warm-up week or whether it means playing five weeks in a row. You know, I mean, these guys figure it out. Once you play that schedule over and over and over, you kind of can get a feel for where you want to be at what times and where you want to go and whatnot. Yeah. So, the DJ is – DJ is uh, – I mean, I, I, there's no argument. He is the best player in the world right now. Reed, I like what you said there. It's there's a, there's a big thing about being able to create your own schedule and being ready for every tournament that you tee it up in, and that's uh, that goes for every every level of um, professional golf. Right. Yeah. I guess I guess for you, I wanted to ask before before my internet cut out. So you mentioned you have a conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, what? What are the differences? Because we know conditional status on the PGA Tour a little bit. I mean, even that's not so clear. So what's it like for you, and how do you prepare for maybe not knowing when you're going to play? Um, well, this year is definitely a lot different than years in the past, but I'm still very new to, uh, to the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, this is my first year with status. Um, but I missed getting full starts or uh, the full status, I guess, through Q School by two shots. Um, so I ended up finishing 61st, tied for 61st at Q school and you needed a top 45, I believe. And, um, because of the way COVID fell and, um, all the people that were supposed to get starts on the PGA tour, um, but because everybody wanted to play on the PGA tour those weeks that they were coming back, the guys who were not getting into the PGA tour events were dropping down to the corn Ferry events which were bumping people with my status or, you know, similar status out of the events. Um, so I was probably 12th to 17th alternate um, for a number of events this last year. Um, I Mondayed into two and then right before uh, the, the playoffs for the corn Ferry, a lot of guys take weeks off. And that was kind of where I was able to get in on my number, um, not having to Monday qualify. But I still didn't know that I was not going after Monday until the day before or two days before the event. And there was one event that I got into um, that I was actually on my way to a little mini tour event. And I got the call back on Tuesday saying, hey, uh, you just got in uh, your last one on the field. Can you get back to Springfield, Illinois? It's like, oh, yep, I'll, I'll be there in a sec. Let me turn around and drive three more hours. But uh, um, what I was saying earlier is being able to map your schedule out is a lot easier than going one spot to another spot and maybe having to get back to that other spot. And it's hard to prepare that way. Is, is I mean, so like uh... at the beginning of each tour, you know, no matter if it's LPGA or the PGA or the Corn Ferry, like. Most times you go in and you're at the bottomish barrel of the of the um, you know the priority list I should call it and and 
it's hard, man. Like you got to play well and you got to play into it. And, and once you get that, I think it, it really makes a career that much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the guy who won on the corn Ferry this year or this, this past week, Hayden, uh, Buckley. Hayden Buckley. He got in on Thursday morning. He was first alternate the whole week. And then one guy withdrew and he was, he was ready to go. And now he's got a full schedule that he can plan himself. And, uh, and I mean, he obviously is a great player. He had a lot of success up in Canada, and now he's uh, now he's taken off in the Corn Ferry. That's that's pretty special. I saw him just, playing like a mini tour event this week, though. I was very confused by that. Yeah, shouldn't he? Get- that's that's kind of how you have to schedule it um, with right. people like my status. You have to be playing if you're going to do the Monday, and let's say you don't get in. Why are you going to travel all that way and not be able to make some money, or you know, tee it up somewhere? So for, for I'm not going to go just to play that Monday. And if I don't get in, I'm going to fly back that financially, that doesn't make any sense to me. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it just makes it that much harder in the wallet. And it's funny because yeah. uh, Hayden Buckley, the guy who ended up caddying for him last week, I was on the range today here at Lake Nona in Orlando for the uh, LPGA event. And uh, I walk as I haven't seen him forever. His name is Brian Mahoney. Great dude. And he's on a bag for an LPGA girl. And he goes, yeah, man, I was just down in Sarasota. I said, how you do? He goes, oh, we won. I was like, oh, shit. So you're just on a winning bag yesterday, bro. It's always – I don't care where you win. It's always a good feeling, man. Yeah, it must also be part of like uh, – I mean, you obviously you want to be out there on the PGA Tour, but there must be something to having to grind your way up, do this all this traveling, then it's that much sweeter when you make it. It, it will be very sweet, um, but it, it, there's a lot of stories and uh, different places you've been, and um, there, there will be a big write-up when, when I get to where I want to be. That's for exactly. sure. We'll have the first scoop. We better have the first scoop, at least. Yeah, uh, sure. Absolutely. You know where you live. I mean, Reed, Reed already knows a little bit, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we got to save the good stuff for when it happens. Exactly. All right, well, uh, heading to this week, uh, Alistair or Reed, are either of you familiar with this course by any chance? No. No, not at all. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, I wonder if any, any of us are know of the concession at all. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the last time I've watched a tournament here. Um, it's a great golf course. Like, there's no doubting that. It's just something they haven't played in a while, you know? Yeah, no, it's, I know it's named after the concession at the Ryder Cup. That is all I know. Really? I didn't know that. I think the, I think the 1968 or 69 Ryder Cup it was. I read that look, somewhere. Look, I look at you, Mr. Factual. Yeah, no. <laughs> Good, I could be doing it this. research. Well, I guess uh, since we don't have too much information, we don't want to uh, bullshit the listeners here like we do because <laughs> we already give enough bad picks. So we'll get to that. Alistair, uh, you're the guest. You get your first shot at who you think is going to win this thing. I am I said it earlier, and I'm sticking to it. I really believe that Tony Finau is coming through this week. I, I just think his game is so sharp in all aspects, and once that putter gets a little bit, a little hotter, it's, nobody's going to touch him. Yeah. Reed. Uh, I'm going to take – you know, we, we always do a, a normal pick and then a long shot. But I've got kind of two long shots that I like, so I'll give a normal pick and then a long shot. 
Uh, I'm going to take Mackenzie Hughes this week. That was my guy. You take him every week, Reed. You got to leave him for everyone else. What are you talking about? I haven't taken him in like freaking three months. Yeah. Well, you got to leave him. I'm the Canadian on here. I should get first dibs. Maybe if Alistair <laughs> won him, he's got some roots here. Hey. Too bad, so sad, partner. No oh, one. Hey, uh, well, Reed, Reed gets credit because he's taking him as his legit pick, not even his long shot, I guess, right? That's correct. Yeah. So. If if that's a circumstance, I think Reed deserves picking him there. Oh, you get him. <laughs> you have a long uh, shot then? Yeah, but he's not so much of a long – I mean, he is a long shot, but he's not like an oh-my-God long shot. Well, there's only uh, – I think there's only 50 guys in the field. Right, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's not – I mean, there's – obviously being a WGC, there's like the top players out of like the Asian tour and um, – uh, South American tour, whatever they call those. Um, so a lot of us dumb Americans, yeah, not you, not you Canadians. You guys aren't lived in with us, but we we don't know who these guys are. But we consider them long shot, long shots. Um, uh, I think I was just looking at a lot of the different odds. There's a lot of guys that you can get really good value from what from what I was seeing, like. 50- 20 to 1. Who's that? I'm saying there's a, guy, a lot of guys like 15 or 20 to 1 that are good. Yeah. Those guys even – there's Matt Wolf. Is that – is he at 110? I, I mean, I, I might be – at 90, but it could be different. Okay. I'm looking at Action action Network from today. And he's at 110. And uh, who else is on here? Colin Markawa was – at 47 or something, Tommy Fleetwood at 55. Like, those are some long odds for that caliber of player for sure. Um, I'm not sure who I really like, though. I really like Alistair's picking Tony Fina. I think that would be really cool to watch him win. Um, oh, now I know who I was going to go with. I'm going with Joaquin Neiman. This is wow. crazy. It's crazy. I got to go to pick number three now. No wow. way. Out of left field, Nolan. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think he's due. I mean, he's had a couple good tournaments here um, after the new year. So, we'll see if he can even get it done. Yeah, all right. Well, for my pick, my third pick, I swear to God, I had Neiman as number one and Hughes as my long shot. Neiman's just been on fire, and he shot that 78 in round three last week. Otherwise, he would have been right up there. But it's going to be with a guy we're not we're not the biggest fans of. Well, to be fair, Reed is a little bit of a fan, but he's blocked us, Reed. So we're going to get you on board. It's Patrick Reed, 29 to one. You can't tell me Patrick Reed does not win this one out of every 29 times. That'd be his second win this year already, right? Yeah, as much as I rip on the guy, the guy's a good golfer. And if he's losing, he'll just find his way to cheat to a victory. (laughs) Fucking hell, Zach. Call call the white wall white, will you? Yeah. (laughs) He's blocked us. You think he's listening to our podcast? There's not a chance. Right. No kidding. Oh, no. His his wife might be or, uh, you know, Team Reed might be. I think his wife is the one who blocked us. Okay. That's a suspicion. There's no way he runs his own Twitter. <laughs> he probably has to deal with a bunch of bullshit all the time, though. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, what, what you got for your long shot, then? 
I'm, uh, I'm going to take Kevin Kisner as my long shot. Hmm. I was going to go with uh, Sebastian Munoz. He had some Great. elite form. Elite form before, like about a month ago. Then he's really struggled recently. And then last week we saw put it together, put it together English a little bit. And uh, I like Munoz. He could go low, so you need that. Alistair, do you have a uh, do you have a long shot off the top of your head? Uh, I should probably be looking at the uh, the list of people playing in the in the event. I was um, the only thing is to put guests on the spot. Yeah, no kidding. And and this this might be he might not even be playing in the event, but I'm taking Wyndham Clark. Is he playing? He's in. He's in. Perfect. I'm pretty I think sure he's gonna no, get hot. Not in. He's uh, not Oh man. I thought he might have snuck in after the finish last week. Yeah, I, I almost got you to wet your pants, but no, not quite. You've been incredible. <laughs> uh Cam Champ, you can get at crazy odds. Um, like over oh, 200. He- I I don't know. I mean, the dude. I mean, he's he competed at majors, and he's just I mean, been he's- so bad recently. Yeah, but like I agree with you, Chap. Anyone who like that type of game, how do you not take a chance on it? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, if his irons are on, he's hitting it 50 yards past everyone. So. Yeah, I, my long shot. I feel like is pretty random um but his name just stuck out to me and that's uh robert mcintyre um i like scottish player yeah lefty scottish player crazy good hands crazy good hands yeah so i mean yeah he tears it up on the european tour a lot so we'll see I still don't understand why he doesn't come over and play more tour events. Because he has to be the best guy not on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Maybe he just Pretty hates him. close. I don't know. Hey, just likes just, it over there. Just a little uh, just a little side information. I was out uh, on the golf course today here, here today at uh, Lake Nona. And uh, we were on, I want to say, hole 14. Uh, up by the green, little par 3. And Henrik Stenson came walking out of his house over to say hi to us and uh, it was pretty cool man nice wow love henrik stenson big fan won me a lot of money once yeah talk oh, about how much was that how much was that zach i don't know it was like four figures it was a nice four figure payday on henrik say one of my biggest golf wins wow really yeah so great great three wood hit it hits it with the best of them crazy three wood man <laughs> like i and they think that three woods like 10 years old that he still uses yeah <laughs> Yeah. The three was one of those clubs, though, man. You find a good one, and uh, it's hard to go away from it. I totally agree. I completely agree. Yeah, well, Reed, you saw Henrik Stenson. You know what I wish I had seen today? What's that? A Forma car. Forma car? I wish I saw one today. Unfortunately, I did not. Are you talking about, like, Mr. Uh, Chris Relia and Forma cars out in Columbus, Ohio? That's right, I am. Did you see? I mean, I would probably want to see like an orange one, like an orange old like replica Mustang. Is that what? What other types do they have? We know they got the uh, Shelby. Yeah, they do Mustangs, uh, Corvettes, old um, old Chevys, old body styles. Um, they do all of their replica car designs by laser technology. Um, they cut out all the doors by laser, all the windows by laser, um, all the parts. Even you're talking the engine, everything by laser. Um, they custom design the car for you if you want more horsepower. They'll build more horsepower and whatnot. 
Um, it's pretty cool. If you go to former cars, check them out uh, online. It's uh, pretty special. And one day, Zach will get his wish and uh, see one on the day of the pod. Wow, yeah. That was the cringiest self-plug of all time. You know, we're going to see how cringy we could get it because I think it's going to make it really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, this, this will work. There's a new form of advertisement that we're developing here. But uh, as we've done every single week on this pod, we've uh, we started drafting different things in the world of golf, Alistair. And today we uh, tweeted out that we wanted to know what people, the toughest hole that they know of. Toughest hole in golf, either at their local club, on the PGA Tour, on the European Tour. We got a ton of responses. We got from PGA Tour pros giving us answers. But we're each going to draft. I say we each draft two of them because we're four today. And uh, Reed, I'll leave it to you. To be fair, Zach, we, uh, I think we specified it to the PGA Tour courses. Oh, did we? Just to kind of have, have a baseline to go by. Well. Um, yeah, whatever. I mean, I think a lot of them are going to be PGA Tour holes anyway. So yeah, exactly. uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm going to take a hole that, that was actually just played, and it's probably one of the best short par fours in golf. And it's played over par for many years. Like, I think some years it's barely under par. But for being a 300-yard par four, the 10th hole at Riviera is fucking incredible. I mean, how many guys make sixes and sevens on the hole? It's 300 yards. Yeah. There's 220-yard par, par threes. Guys make two, twos on routinely, routinely. You know, and then you got a par four that plays over par a lot of the years. I mean, come on. What is it that makes it so hard about this hole? Because I, I watched the whole event. It's like, how does, like, it seemed like no one was getting it close. It's because the way that you come into the green, the green pitches kind of away into the left. And there's a bunker that sits in front, so you really don't have anything to work with in front. And so you're hitting something in there. And usually when you're laying it up, you're going to lay it up. I mean, unless you want to hit like six or seven iron off the tee, you know, you're going to have 70 yards in. So it's kind of that mid-range wedge that you can't get a whole lot of juice on sometimes. And, you know, if, I think sometimes laying it back to 110 yards, and it may sound stupid, but, hell, you could probably get the club ball a lot closer. And then a lot of times, yeah, if you don't hit the green, if you're driving for it, you're put in a bad spot like we saw with, you know, Finau and Homa, the two guys who played the tournament the best all week, made a par on the hole. So, um, yeah. Alistair, you ever been out there? Um, I have not. Uh, I've got some friends that have played it and um, have had some success at Riviera, had, uh, had some crazy stories about the whole place but um i have been told that the green the way you described it is it's pitched almost like if you were 70 yards left and long you might have the best angle but obviously there's trees there and stuff but that's the way it's pitched if you're trying to hit a wedge you'd be better off left of left exactly yeah, you saw a ton of players hit it there the shot tracker was having a good day with all the guys blasting it left yeah, and, and look at, uh, what was it, Saturday when they blew the horns? Uh, I don't remember who it was, but he putted that ball completely off that green. That's how severe that slope is. And then with the wind and the, the green speeds, you can't hold that even with a putt. Right. Morikawa on Thursday I saw, he like short bunker, then to the long bunker, then off the green, then off the green again. 
Mm-hmm. Not a good way to start a tournament. I, it must be brutal starting your week off playing 10, especially if it doesn't go well. Well, it might yeah, be great. It might, it might be the easiest birdie you ever made if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. The first uh, sights of Riviera that I had was watching my good friend and, and teammate from the Palmer Cup, uh, Doug Gim, uh, yep. play. And he, he has some great, great short game skills. Um, obviously, he's on the PGA Tour now. Um, but to watch him not be able to hold, keep that uh, bunker shot from the uh, front right bunker onto that back pin, uh, that just tells you how difficult of a shot that really was. Yeah. Yeah. Nolan, what's your pick? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of tough, tough holes out there, man. It was hard to just narrow it down. And, Zach, you can, you can read off some of what the uh, followers – chimed in on on Twitter because that'll be fun to see what they all said but um, I think I'm gonna go just a classic and I love when a tough hole is the 18th hole because it just creates that much more, more drama what we do you mean know what it is. I know what? what it is you guys know what it is already 18th at TPC Sawgrass no but see that's the row damn it <laughs> no you're both <laughs> wrong you're both so wrong but no, I love 18 at TPC because like even 17 creates all that drama and like it's a short par three, but it's still hard. But then 18 is just like, oh wait, I still have to like carry all this water. And the, if you go long right, then you can get in jail. But no, 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 no. I'm going 18th hole at Bay Hill at Arnie's house, um, kind of reverse of 18 at TPC. And that – that second shot, I think I would just crap my pants every every time. So I think for the longest time um, growing up, I thought that was a par five because, I mean, it's it's pretty long. But, I mean, you see so many guys just bail out left. They're like, uh-uh, I ain't messing with that that flag. That's tucked back right. I was going to say that the, back flag is nasty. Yeah, you see so many guys in that. I mean, that bunker shot – um, if you're in the back left bunker too, you have to come back towards the water. You got the water right behind the pin there. It's just all sorts of nerves getting into that shot. So yeah, 18 at Bay Hill. Nice. Alistair. Yeah. Um, so just going off of some of the holes that I have played, um, I was an alternate at the 2019 uh, U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and I gotta say, number two played as a par four is by far one of the hardest all-around golf holes I have played. Um, you have to step up, and the way that they mow those fairways and tighten them up for the U.S. Open, where you're landing this driver, because you're not going to hit anything but driver on that hole, because you don't want a four iron into the green. Right. The landing area is small. The greens at Pebble are already difficult um, and small. And it's, I just think that is a fantastic, difficult par four. I would yeah, agree with the you bunker, It's got, yeah, the fairway bunkers, it's got the trees, like, that it can get in your way. Like, there's nowhere. If, you, if you, you miss the fairway there, you might be better off just chipping it out to the fairway and making sure you have a shot, a full shot. Otherwise, you might not carry the ravine there. I mean, there's just so many big numbers that can happen if you're not per- very, very precise on every shot on that hole. That's uh, I would uh, I'm gonna give you props on that one, Alistair. 
That's pretty Thanks. good. <laughs> there's so there's a lot of tough holes at Pebble Beach. Um, I mean, looking at I was looking at you know which holes play most over par and um, twelve, twelve. Which like you come to twelve at Pebble Beach, it's two hundred ish yard par four or sorry par three, and it's like a little bit downhill. It's got like a couple bunkers. I don't. It doesn't seem like super intimidating, but like that stretch at Pebble is like boring, but like really tough. It's like I don't know why. And that twelve at Pebble Beach always plays like like you think of like seventeen at Pebble Beach being really tough, right? But twelve is always like the harder one. It's almost it's over a third of a stroke over par. So. Yeah, that's another one that the green is small, and once you get up on top, you kind of get some swirling winds. Right, um, it, it can really mess with you. And that front bunker, everything actually slopes away from that front bunker. Um, if you go back to even Daniel Berger's putt on that hole uh, in the final round, you can see how slippery that is from the front of the green, and uh, and it's got a lot of break around that hole. I mean, it's it's a really really good par three. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for me, it's another tournament that we've played pretty recently. I know Reed's played it a bunch of times. It's the 12th at Torrey Pines South. It, uh, oh, gosh. Come on, man. You took oh, another I'm one. Getting, dude, I'm getting nauseous listening to this draft, I man. love like, this hole because when you so watch it, it's just, like, perfectly straight, too. It's just, like, brutally long, and yeah. no one seems to be able to birdie it. It averages it's like, a half shot over par, which is, like, for a straight hole with the best golfers in the world is crazy. It's just all in your face, and, like, it's just, like, bring it on. It's like, come try to par me, and <laughs> you're not going to. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're back to the top of the order with you, Reed. You know, I thought I ruined one of my picks by giving it to you guys, and I was kind of toying with the idea of taking 18 at Sawgrass just because how many people have hit it left into the drink with the lead. But then I started thinking how many people have blown a lead on how hard is it to step up to 17 with a wedge at TPC Sawgrass and win a golf tournament. Like, I don't care if you have a 60 yard pitch, man, that green, that Island, it's, it's, just because of the circumstance, I've got to put 17 to TPC Sawgrass. Yeah. I mean, talk about a nervy shot, right? Nothing's more nervous than staring at a, a patch of grass that's surrounded by water. Right. <laughs> that's what makes uh, Ricky Fowler's win there even more special. Right. Did he, did he birdie did he that? Five times? Yeah, it did he birdie like it he five times or yeah, four to five or whatever? Yeah, something like that. His yeah. proximity was even crazier. I mean, yeah. it felt like he was inside eight feet every time. On on Sunday, he went right of the pin. Like he was like, Are you, you're insane. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Good job, Ricky. Man, hopefully we'll see him come around. Yeah, is he playing this week? Uh, no, he's got to be. That would be not? a long shot, which is weird to say. That would be a long. That no, would be a long playing. He's not. That's incredible to think that Ricky Fowler is not playing a WGC. Him and him and Spieth are trying to maybe Monday qualify, right? <laughs> no, there's no Monday qualifying for the WGC. 
should have a Monday qualifier for Monday qualifier. How amazing would that be? Like Mondays are hard, no matter at what level. Mondays are hard. Yeah, That's you just get one true. guy through. You have all the best players in the world going for one spot. Never know. All right, yeah. I think I, I'm up next. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even think about thinking about like local courses around around me, and that made me I don't know maybe Alistair's played it since he was up in the the Couve of Washington, which is not too far away from Langdon Farms Golf Course. You ever heard of that gem, Alistair? There's this yep. par three. The par three six is this tiny little par three. I think it tips out at like one twenty five. And it's just like they call it like the little volcano hole. The green, the green is absolutely disgusting. It's just like you won't have a flat putt any four feet, any within four feet of the hole um, or wherever the pin is. But a lot of people call it like the shortest par five in Oregon or whatnot. Um, it kind of has that because if you miss the green, you're chipping back and forth, and it's just nasty. Anyway, I won't say that. Because I'm going to stick to um, professional golf courses. And um, we don't always get to play it. Um, it's very rarely, actually, you know, that we get to see this on TV. Because it's over the pond. It is only going to come on the PGA Tour when we have the British Open. And it is the classic 17 at St. Andrews, the road hole. Um, dude, I mean, <laughs> hitting a golf ball over over the that building and then the the fairway is very narrow where guys are trying to land it nowadays and hitting hitting an iron into that green is probably the hardest thing to like hold hold onto that green um and of course the road hole bunker and all the history with that so i i think i'm gonna go with 17 as dangers that was right before the uh collapse of uh john vandeveld was that it was that at st andrews or carnoustie carnoustie was it carnoustie yeah yeah i just watched a great documentary on that by the way it was an old yeah all right uh alistair back to you yeah uh nolan that's a great pick because that was definitely what was i was i was gonna go with um oh man and also the langdon farms pole right there that's a that's a really good hole uh and the wind goes crossing through there too it, it, that is it a very difficult part of three um man now i'm uh i got the wheels turning trying to figure out another hole um but if i could switch it to maybe a corn fairy hole i got one for you guys so not many people know this but the corn fairy tour is the tour championship is uh, not at Pumpkin Ridge this upcoming year. It has moved to Omaha, Nebraska at Indian Creek. I'm so mad, by the way. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was really looking forward to getting into Pumpkin since I didn't get yeah, in this I'm, year. And I'm sure you've played uh, Pumpkin a lot, huh? I've played Oregon Junior Golf stuff, Oregon Am stuff there. That, that place is fantastic. Um, it, it's tough not being able to have that as the tour championship. But – uh, in Omaha, I, that's one of the events I got into last year. Um, very good uh, all-around golf course. Uh, Great two golf. different nines. 
uh, I think it'll be a, it was a good test and will be another great test for uh, the tour championship, but hole number nine with the way that they route it at Indian Creek is a par four up the hill, just probably straight into the wind like it was for this year. And if you are down the right side of the fairway, I believe it's close to 500 yards. If not, it plays 500 yards. Um, if you're down the right side of the fairway, you're almost blocked out. And the rough down the left side is so thick that you're probably not advancing it too far. If, and if you got a good lie, you're, you're just hoping to get it somewhere close to the front of that green. But that is a very difficult golf hole. And that could change um, that entire tournament for a lot of people. Yeah, you make a good point there. That that's a good golf go, man. In a hole, yeah, it is. That's a great. That's one of the better stops. Somewhere. Yeah, I, I think it it makes it makes sense that that will be a golf course that is hosting such an event. You know, tour championship. A lot of the line. It'll test every aspect of everybody's game, um, and anybody from middle of the pack going into the last day will have a chance to put post a what's number. That, uh, what's that par four? I want to say like. I don't know, like 11 or 12. I think it's early in the back nine with the water. It's a short part. They can shove the tees up and try to get people to go at it. And 12. And, 12. and this last year, the wind was howling. And you were just trying to figure out exactly what you needed to make sure you covered that front bunker. Otherwise, you were wet or dropping or you were toast when you were going long because the rough was so thick. And some of the pins out there, they, they make pretty difficult. Yeah. Great golf. All right. Yeah, fantastic I got, I got golf pick here. Save the best for last. I'm surprised no one took it. I, I even mentioned it a little bit. It's been the hardest hole four of the last 15 years or 16 years. The 18th at Doral, the Blue Monster. Blue Monster. Yeah. Great, great selection. So, yeah, this one, although it seems like maybe people are starting to figure it out because it was the hardest hole in 2003, hardest in 2005, hardest in 2009. And then now it's going, getting easier and easier for these guys. So maybe they're starting to figure something out or maybe the length that these guys have off the tee is making it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, what were some of, regardless, but it's still tough. Yeah. What were some of, what were some of the listeners' picks, Zach? That they're, I mean, I, I thought of other ones. Like, I think right now one of the hardest is the 18th at Houston. At the Houston well, Open is – they, I think that was the old golf course they're talking about, because yeah, they, they just switched it. That's where that's when Mark and I almost won. There's water all down the left, big yeah. mounds down the right with a bunker down the right. They everyone, switched it. They switched it this year. Yeah, it's a Memorial Park. Yeah, gotcha. I'll give the uh, the answers that have gotten the most likes here. Most interesting. So the top liked one was the 15th at Beth Beth Page Black. Great, great golf hole. We've got. Uh, so one guy, Eddie Bajek, actually, thank him for this. He gave us the hardest courses statistically. So this season, do you know what the hardest hole has been? Thus far? Or is it like from last year? Thus far. Uh, it might have been one at, at uh, Wailea, right? There's always a really tough hole at – Last year, Wailea number two was number four. It's Wingfoot number three. Yeah. Uh. Wingfoot has four of the top five hardest holes. The other one is Torrey Pines South, number 12. Yep. Last year, the hardest hole was the 18th at Houston. Right, yeah. And then uh, 
Yeah, a lot of people said 12th at Torrey Pines. We had some interesting answers here from uh, PGA Tour Pro John Peterson, the number six at Honda. And he said, Yeah, that's a great hole there. Maybe he's had some uh, bad memories going back there. He doesn't seem too fond of that <laughs> hole. But uh, let's see, we got, we got a lot here. Arjun Atwal, another friend. Oh, 18 at the Raw. Uh, Greg Chalmers, he said the 15th at PJ National. Uh, Bay Hill, the 18th at Bay Hill. Uh, Steve Wheatcroft, he said the 17th at Quail Hollow. No one said that one. And then uh, a bunch of people gave the bear trap as well, which obviously isn't one single hole, but I think uh, that's definitely up there with the hardest stretch of holes. For sure. No one mentioned uh, Little Azalea at the at I guess the national. True, true. Uh, so Great I mean that one. Yeah, with that, Nolan, we uh, we got to give you give the tiger fact, and we're gonna head to Reed for uh, our favorite portion, Alistair, with some trivia. We'll see <laughs> oh, you know your random facts. <laughs> we'll it's, see. It's fucking random tonight, too. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh no. All right, well, my stat of the week is going to blow your guys' mind and just make you think of Tiger like you've never thought of Tiger before. And that is because even during the lowest of lows of Tiger's career, from 2012 till now, um, Tiger was age 36 to he'll be 45 in a, in a bit here um or is he 45 now i think he's 45 now um either way from that stretch he had a winning percentage of 11.7 percent still <clears throat> can you guess how many players had a better winning percentage on tour um during that stretch I'm going to say one player. One one player. Okay. Oh, I'll I'll go with 3. Okay. I'm going to say zero. I love it. I love it. Well, read nicely done. One player barely edged him by 0.1%. Wow. Um that would be Rory McIlroy. That would be my guess. Rory McIlroy had 11.8%. And the next closest were like DJ and Brooks at 10.6%. Uh, or sorry, DJ was at 10.6. Brooks was at 5.4%. I mean, he was only winning majors, right? So it didn't really right. um, matter for him. But the fact that during like the worst stretch of Tiger Woods' career, he was still, you know, obviously he didn't tee it up as often as the other guys, but he was still winning at the same clip as the best players out there this is amazing that is crazy when you actually think about it i mean what was his winning percentage in his prime oh gosh it's like it's insane it's like at one at one like well at at one like thousand it was almost 50 percent yeah it was like in one like even like four or three year stretch it was like 46 percent or something like that's fucking incredible. Half the tournaments you tee it up, you win against yeah. 140 or 30 other people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he still ha- – and I think he still has like a 20 
3% career winning percentage. No, yeah, that's crazy, man. In 2001, he entered 19 events and won five of them. That was like, uh, it was basically every single year. He just, 2002, it was 18 events, won five. Yeah. Crazy. And then, he, yeah, I mean, there's a year where he won, like, even more than that. So, yeah, it's it's absurd. <laughs> well, to top it off, I got a little uh, little random-ass trivia tonight. I know sometimes it's usually, like, something interesting, but this one's kind of um, – it's more of a uh, – it's more of informational purposes for people who don't, who don't know. And we're, uh, we're talking about, since we're in Florida this week for the WGC, Talking about the uh, alligator and crocodile difference, all right? This is something I want to learn about. All right. Which one of the following is true between an alligator and a crocodile? A, gators have wider U-shaped snout. B, crocs have short, stubby tails. C, gators have pointier snouts. Or D, Crocs jaws are just stronger opening than closing. I'm going to go with A. Okay. I will go with wow. I will go with C, the stronger opening than closing. That's D. That's D. Then I go with D. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm worried that we're all going to guess a, one of the answers and we're all going to be wrong. But I'm going to go with B. Answer is gators have wider U-shaped snouts. A is the answer. Oh, if you look I'm at pictures, back in the winter circle. Dude, that's like the first time pictures, I got that right. <laughs> crocodile snouts, and to be another thing, you do crocodiles don't even live in the U.S. There's no such thing as a crocodile in, in the United States. It's that's there's only gators here. Crocodiles live south of uh, around the equator and south of the equator. Wow, that's a that's a crazy fact there, right? So, just a little interesting uh, tidbit for uh, for all you fools. But uh, since we are in Florida this week, uh, actually both tours are in Florida this week: LPGA and PGA. Gators have wider U-shaped snouts, so don't chase one. Don't if you if they're chasing you, run in a zigzag. I know that. Absolutely, that's the one known fact. If I'm being chased, I'm convinced. You know, everyone's like under pressure. People won't do what they're like told. Like if a gator was chasing me, I would do it because I tell everyone that. So, <laughs> it sure did it. Well, on behalf of all of us, uh, Alistair, thanks so much for coming on the show. And we'd love to have you on. And we are confident we're going to give you that FTBT boost because it's been working wonders for us recently. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Come on anytime you guys need. Awesome. And we'll see uh, you Thank you for listening to From the Back Tees. Toward the hole, and it's in with 30. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information and updates, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at From the Back Tees. I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. See you next week. Be the ball, man.